welcome back hey this is richard wolfgram and uh i got my voice back and you can still hear a little hoarseness but uh, sorry for the delay and also thank you just for all of you that have been hanging in there and listening to the past uh, episodes. So before we jump into the questions, uh, just a reminder that this is a Q&A episode and this is answering your questions from episode two. And I've actually got a lot of uh, emails in my inbox. So let's check out the first question. Oh, and before we get to the first question, uh, just a reminder, you can send me questions to my Gmail, rwolfgram at gmail.com. That's spelled R-W-O-L-F-G-R-A-2-M-S at gmail.com. You can also leave us a uh, voice message on our anchor page. And um, I would actually prefer that because then I can take your question and put it into the podcast. So send me your question. Okay, first question. Richard, what do you have against rice? Okay, First of all, I don't have anything against rice. I love rice and especially jasmine rice. And I'm salivating while I'm talking. I salivate anytime I talk about food, but I love jasmine rice, especially with like Thai food. But I don't have anything against rice. All I was saying in that episode is that in uh, Tongan culture, when you are presenting food, especially to like dignitaries and like, you know, guests that are uh, very special guests high ranking uh you just don't serve rice unless it's like chinese food you know but i'm talking about when you are pairing it in like a tongan food presentation rice is not a indigenous food to tonga for one thing Uh, rice is actually more the influence of the asian presence in the islands right and i think for us here in america it's really more influenced by like plate lunches that we eat um because it's a part of like Hawaiian cuisine and even that is like introduced you know rice was introduced to Hawaii by um, Asian immigrants and so yeah I don't have anything against rice I love rice as a matter of fact uh, in Tonga we ate rice Uh, rice was really more of a breakfast food so you eat rice in the morning with like sugar and butter maybe a little bit of milk Um, I remember my grandma she used to make rice my grandma Maopa she used to make rice with um, coconut, you know, with she would lolo'i rice. So she would boil rice, put coconut cream in it, let it cook for a bit. And oh, that was so good. So good. So no, I don't have anything against rice. So for the next set of questions, I brought in the heavy hitters, the big guns. And uh, very thankful to have Ulise Funaki available to help us tackle some of these questions. Ulise is currently doing his master's degree in cultural anthropology at the University of Hawaii, Manoa. And so we are very happy to have him on board. If the name sounds familiar to you, it should. Uh, Ulise was part of the Tongan delegation that went to Mauna Kea. So for those of you that are following what's happening at Mauna Kea right now in Hawaii... Ulise was part of that Tongan delegation, and his role was to be the orator 
Tamatapule, the the talking chief, if you want to say, uh, representing the Tongan delegation, and he gave a beautiful, uh, beautiful speech. So the speech is about 11 minutes long and I highly recommend for any of you to uh, go to Facebook and just do a search on uh, Tongan delegation visit to Mauna Kea and you will find Ulisa's speech. Thank you, Ulisa, for taking the time to answer these questions. And so then in the next uh, segment, you're going to be hearing a phone conversation between Ulisa and I where we tackle some questions concerning um, cultural anthropology and just, uh, you know, his perspective on Mariner's writings. And then also we talk about Tatongiaki versus Takalia. Um, and then a question about violence that we got from one of our, uh, re- our listeners um, just, uh, you know, addressing the violence that we are um, listening to from episodes one and two. Okay, so on the phone right now, um, I've decided to bring in some help to answer this next question. And um, I have on the line Ulisse Funaki. Now, if some of you, uh, those of you that are following what's happening at Mauna Kea, if you remember several months ago, there was a Tongan delegation that went to Mauna Kea. And there was a beautiful uh, speech that was given by by the talking chief. And this person uh, who represented the Tongan uh, delegation and in doing the protocols of speech was uh, none other than Ulise Funaki. Woohoo! Thank you. Thank you, Ulise, for coming on the podcast with us. Yes, of and, course. Um, Ulise is a husband, a father, a student um, at Brigham Young University of Hawaii and doing his master's in cultural anthropology. Is that correct? Actually, I'm at UH Manoa. Wait, what? You're at UH Manoa? Yes. Okay. (laughs) Okay, so do they not have a master's program at BYUH yet? No, they actually don't. They have no graduate program yet. It's supposedly in the works, but the goal of mine is to then get my degree, get my graduate degree at UH Manoa and return to BYU Hawaii to See if I could help out more over there with our indigenous students. <laughs> yeah, hey, that's a very noble goal. Yeah, well, thank you. Ulisa, tell us about your Tongan background. What villages are you from and all that good stuff? Sure. So my my Tongan side is on my father's side. I'm the oldest son of four. My father is Mavini Funaki, who is from Fuamotu, Tongatapu. Um just Fuamotu, pretty much he claims because both of his parents are also from Fuamotu and Nakolo and the whole Halaliku side. They are Manipuna Funaki, and my grandmother is Meretangikina Foketi Tuungafasi from Nakolo. And, uh, yeah, that's my Tongan side. Ah, okay. And then what's your other side? My mother, she is uh, Kanaka Maoli. She's Hawaiian, but also um, Ilocano Filipino. 
Um, she was born and raised on the big island of Hawaii, on the Hamakua coast, which is the north side, northeast side, um, small plantation town where I also grew up um, when I was born on the big island. Um, she is Hawaiian on her mother's side and then Hawaiian-Filipino. Um, and then Filipino, her father is also Ilocano as well from the Philippines. And their ohana is the Kala family, Augustine family from the valleys of Waipio and Waimanu. Wow. Okay. So, yeah. uh, listeners, so this is, so this is how I became a Ulisse Funaki fan. So oh, when, yeah. when they, when they were, um, when the, de- the Tongan delegation went to Mauna Kea, you know, so you gave a very beautiful oration in Tongan. And then I did not expect that you were also going to do the same thing in Hawaiian. <laughs> and I didn't know that you were fluent in the Hawaiian language. So that's so awesome. Yeah. Malo. Thank you. Thank you. And you are, a, you are a, uh, uh, definitely a 21st century Polynesian. <laughs> yes, definitely. Very okay. Blood, but yes. <laughs> ah, that's so awesome. And I'm so happy to have you on the podcast Mom. to um, help us answer some of these questions. Thank you for listening, by the way. Yes, of course. I, we, my wife and I, we enjoy every single week that we get to listen to your podcast. They're educational. They're very informative. And I think it's it's about time. Somebody, you know, from our Tongan community has decided to Tell this story because there's plenty of Tongans who have no idea who Tokyo Kamea is, who, who you know, or, or what are the Tongan past even look like. So yeah, so, and you know, I I didn't um, I didn't fully expect that when I started the podcast. I mm-hmm. did it just to, you know because this is something that I've always been fascinated with, but uh, just getting all the emails and just comments from um, a lot of our young people and not just Tongans but you know throughout the Polynesian diaspora uh, people that are listening and and of course there's the uh, Samoan connection to Mariner as well which we'll talk about in uh, future episodes but um, you know uh, really cool to bridge all these things for a a whole new generation yeah Mm -hmm. definitely definitely I think it's really important that they can and they get a, a kind of a snapshot other than you know from what I understand, you know, growing up in the diaspora, you know, a lot of what we know as growing up, you know, as Tongans growing up in the diaspora is what our parents have told us, you know, and, and so it's good to kind of see and you know, to hear um, another perspective of what Tonga was like even further back then. <laughs> so, yeah. Hey, so let me ask you this, since your background is cultural anthropology, what are some of the criticisms that you have of uh, Mariner's account? Wow. Um, so... I, I'm very appreciative, first of all, and very grateful for Toki, um, you know, Mariner for the work he did, you know, and and um, I'm sorry, the name escapes me, but the, the other man, the individual, the doctor that had helped him write down his memoirs. I am uh, very John grateful. Martin. John Martin, that's it. Thank you. Um, I'm very grateful to them for their work um, because it does shed a lot of light into our past. Um, the The main criticisms I do have is that you know, we, we, we do appreciate his work, but at the same time, he was only there for like two years. <laughs> you know, like, like, not two, but about four years, I think. Yeah, um, he was there for four years. Four years, yes. And, and and he seen a lot, was able to get to a lot, but even in some of the words that he writes, there's still kind of a, I don't know, there's still kind of a thing where he doesn't fully understand and grasp some of the things that's being done. Right. But I think even in the second podcast when you're describing 
um, Mariner's words about what's going on, in my mind, I can see what's happening from a Tongan perspective and how he might have interpreted that wrong. Right, right. You know, um, I guess with, with like, you know, the, the, the killing, you know, the violence at the beginning and some of that, um, even with, with how they treated him, um, I think it was, it was a misunderstanding on his part, especially because you had mentioned he was 15 years old. Right. You know, his emotions are running high. He is deathly afraid right now. He's a brave guy, brave young man, but he's deathly afraid right now. And he really believes he's about to be smoked and cooked. So I think there's some things, <laughs> yeah, that he, that he does talk about that doesn't really sit right with me. Um, to, to, to be brief, I'm sorry, I'm taking up too much time in his very first question. Oh, no, um, no, no, you're, you've yeah. got, a, you've got a lot of time. So yeah, yeah. thank you. In, in, the, in the later account, in, in, in his life there in Tonga, he talks about, and I mentioned to you, mentioned it to you before, he talks about Tongan medicine and that Tongans were not, you know, capable of using herbal medicines um, that the Fijians had taught them and that one of the Hawaiians that were there in Vavatu at the time, I think he was either Tuitui or maybe one of the crewmen from the Port of Prince that stayed in Vavatu had to do the herbal medicine to help cure one of the daughters of the chiefs. And I just... To me, I don't think that's a correct account of that. Um, I come from a family of herbal doctors of who do herbal medicine, traditional healers in Tonga. Um, my father himself is actually a practitioner of a traditional um, massage therapy. Um, not the normal fata that people yeah. fear, but it's a special type of fata um, actually using his feet. And then his mother made herbal medicines and um, Tongan oils for herbal medicines. And, and anyways, so it doesn't make sense to me. Um, yeah, no, that, I'm glad you brought up that point. And we're not up to that part of the book yet. But there's yeah, also right. um, in in the two episodes that we've that I've covered, um, mm-hmm. I noticed that uh, in some of my readings, there was a dispute um, as far as the Tongyaki. And oh, also yeah. the design of the um the I, of the Kalia and where mm-hmm. you know where it originated from. And it seemed to me that Mariner and also Martin, who's documenting uh the account, is giving a lot of credit to the Fijians mm-hmm. as if a lot of the technologies were um, you know, Tongans borrowed from Fiji. So what do you know mm-hmm. about that? Um actually thank you for asking. Um I, I've been thinking a lot about the Kalia work because Kalia is so important to Tongan identity. That is, you know, um, that was well, one of the, the researchers, he's a Palangi researcher, but he does a lot of work concerning the Tongyaki. The Tongyaki was the workhorse. You know, Tongans are so proud of, you know, our past of talking about, you know, the Tongan empire, trade empire, our kingdom that, you know, was so vast throughout the Pacific. That was only capable because of the Tongyaki. Right, right. It wasn't a workhorse. It was an amazing vessel, but it wasn't as superior as the Kalia. From what I understand, the influence of the Tu'i Tonga in that region of Tonga, Samoa, and Fiji was so influential that he had actually commissioned Samoan carpenters who were excellent, great carpenters, and had brought them, because, again, of his influence uh, over these islands, had brought a clan out of Samoa called the Lemaki clan out of Manono. From this clan, they brought them to Fiji 
to the Lao Islands specifically. Why? Because of the amount of vesi wood. You see, that's the part that amazes me, is that the Tongans um, knew how to use their resources, and when they needed something, they, they understood the need to reach out sometimes. And that's exactly what Mariner's talking about, which I think, with the violence occurring in the beginning of the book, the Tongans understood. They knew what they wanted on this ship. This wasn't just because they were on Nakovi, but it's because they had to obtain the tools they needed in order to secure their position as the dominant group or Ha'a clan in Ha'apai and Rava'u. And so with the Kalia, from what I understand with Kalia, the design is very Tongan. It was Tongan ingenuity to bring together Samoan craftsmen, Fijian wood resources and Fijian workmen, and then Tongan ingenuity. That's so far what I understand that many of the researchers are looking at um, is that all of that coming together was because of the Tongans, bringing these different cultures together and ideas and then twisting it into what we use. Because all the way up until the 19th century even, who continued to use the Kalia mostly? It was the Tongans. Mm -hmm. The missionaries were still traveling from Tonga to Fiji, Tonga bringing Christianity to Fiji. We have missionary accounts from Palangis who said they took Kalia instead because they were quicker, they could carry more weight, and they were more efficient. Our people were amazing, and I believe so that the Kalia was definitely of Tongan ingenuity, but from Samoan craftsmanship and Fijian resources. But, you know, I think there was influence from all sides. Yeah, and I mean, even just talk, you know, even that level of uh, of collaboration when you're talking about ingenuity and being able to pull together these different resources to build, you know, such a mm-hmm. magnificent ship, that's yeah. pretty cool in itself. Oh, yes. I mean, the Tongan, you know, the Tongan Kalia was, and we have documented, you know, sources on that, that it was able to carry at least two, three, maybe even 400 people. And and this was not a normal double-hull canoe, say, like the Hokulea of today, you know, two canoes lashed together. Um, it was much more than that. It was the modern catamaran, but multi-leveled. In Tongan, and I had mentioned it on my speech at Mauna Kea, um, in Tonga, there's an understanding there's words to describe the lower deck and the upper deck of a kalia. Mm, yes. Where else did they do that in the Pacific? Nowhere. It was in Tonga. It was in our little, you know, corner of the South Pacific. Um, it just goes to show how, you know, how capable these seafaring men were. Wow. That is so, I mean, my mind is blown right now just thinking of, <laughs> of um, the, you know, like you said, the ingenuity back then. And, you know, that's a part of history where, you know, through, um, through, you know, Western, uh, depictions mm-hmm. of history, you know, we are these savages and, and we mm-hmm. are cannibals and all this other, you know, uh, terrible descriptions, but they never talk about, you know, so uh, the knowledge of science, of, uh, physics and technology and being I able to craft these things. Mm-hmm. Right. I'm sorry to interrupt, but I think you had hit it on the head during your podcast. Um, I think that's a better picture. Sorry, a better example. We can clearly see the type of um, the worldview that Mariner has 
um, in his description of being taken to the hut, right? Right. He's, you know, he's being led to this hut. But we know that th- there was no these little huts in Tonga. No, these were grand fale. Right. You know, with intricate lashings that were done from what I was taught. With right. one strand and just run through the whole house with designs that that um, portrayed constellations and, <laughs> you know, and every piece had a name and a purpose, and yet he still relegated it with the the word the hut. Yeah, and, and I mean, you hit it right there on the head. You know, it, it had a purpose. Everything had a purpose. Exactly. Exactly. You had mentioned it, you know, um, you, you had talked about the hut in your set, you know, of his word choice. And, and even today, people still talk about, you know, the huts in Tonga, like, you know, we're, you know, the Tongan huts. It's like, you know, we weren't cavemen. We weren't just right. putting the stick together. Yeah, which is so funny because, you know, there's also just something, there's also a special kind of feeling when you're in that kind of a fale because, uh, just going, thinking back, you know, when I lived in Tonga and when I was younger, mm-hmm. um, we had like a very palangi house. Yeah. And my mom's mom is such, she's a, a the epitome of a Tongan woman. And <laughs> when she would come to our house, so every time, you know, if my mom was expecting, she would come from Fatai Tongatapu to Vava'u to live with us to help my mom. But wow. she did not want to live in the house, in our palangi house. She asked my dad to build her her own uh, fale in the back so uh, that she can do, you know, her kokaanga and all the things mm-hmm. that she does um, and cooking. And and so my dad oh, built it for her and, it's you know, we kept it there. And every time she came to town, that's where she preferred to stay. And yeah. um, and I always felt like it was like it was kind of like a sacred space. It was kind of weird because, you know, when I go in there, um, I have to be like really careful and mind my manners <laughs> compared to like you know in our palangi style house we can run you know but i knew that was her space and i knew that that was very um sacred to her so oh that's beautiful you know. i i totally understand i believe it you know she it, i don't think she was she wanted out of nostalgia but it was because there was a purpose for the houses back then you know and right. every piece um it was it was utilized. Every space of a Tongan Fale or a Samoan Fale, whatever, was utilized for a specific purpose. And you're right. It was a sacred space for her, for us. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I have a question from a reader that I, I want to get your perspective on. So uh, let me just read the question and we'll talk about it and then I'll I'll let you go. Um <laughs> Okay, so here's the question. Uh, we're just two episodes in, and I'm concerned about the violence in the book and the level of brutality that was dealt to the crew of the Porto Prince. Living in Utah, we already have a stigma of being a violent people, and this makes defending Tongan culture and Tongan people hard. What do you have to say about this? Ah, mm. uh, People who don't study history are doomed to repeat it. Uh, yes. You know, and I think that's the importance of of Mariner's account um, because he shows us a reflection of who we are. Not necessarily inherently violent, but that we have committed violent acts before. And to me, this doesn't show our, our that we are violent people or doesn't evidence 
or prove the stereotype of a Tongan as violent gang members. No, this shows our humanity. Exactly. Okay, and that's all the time that we have to answer questions from the second episode. Um, if you have any more questions or anything that we did not cover, please send me an email, rwolfgram at gmail.com, R-W-O-L-F-G-R-A-M-M at gmail. Um, there is a handy voicemail feature on our anchor page, but people are telling me that it does not uh, let you leave a long message, and so they have to break up their questions into several messages if you don't like that i created a google voice just for this podcast so if you want to call and leave a voicemail that number is 385-347-0906 once again 385-347-0906 and you can leave a voicemail and i would love to play that voicemail as part of the podcast so give us a call thank you again for listening Let me tell you one thing that's so cool since I have started this podcast is just meeting uh, some of you and um, enjoying just, you know, the feedback that you give me and the comments and the support. And I love it. And so that really makes me just want to work harder on this podcast. And then even just the emails that are coming in and messages through social media. So I just want to say malo apito to all of you for your support. I am so happy that you find value in this podcast, you know, in my little Faramuna project. And so um, there is just so much more to come um, in a future episode. So in episode three, uh, we really pick it up. And so once again, I want to thank Ulisse Funaki. Thank you for contributing to our Q&A. And then also, again, just uh, want to thank all of you. I'm grateful for all of you. Thank you.